Hey, I'm Zach. I'm Jenny. And welcome to Forbidden Cinema, the podcast. Where we go back to the days of the video store, the days of our childhood, and we watch movies that our parents wouldn't let us watch, movies that were forbidden to us, and we look at them now and think, was it worth it? Yes, we are at our second official episode. Welcome to everyone. This week we tackled Dirty Dancing. I'm a little different. Um, I have a lot of background with it. Zach does not. So we're going to approach it, you know, from a very uh, different way. Yeah, this is a movie that I'm aware of, but I have no concept of actually having any desire to see or (laughs) no concept of being forbidden to me um we can get into it maybe a little later but i do know that my sister has this as maybe her forbidden film probably so it was definitely forbidden for me it was something i don't remember specifically asking to see but i knew that i couldn't it was what did we what was the date we decided on 1987 so 1987 that was right in i was pre-middle school you know, definitely was one of those things that people were seeing. I knew I wasn't allowed to, but I had a neighbor and I watched it over at, you know, my friend's house. And so it was one that I was aware of that my parents probably didn't know exactly that I saw it when I saw it. Um, And of course, I've seen it many, many times since then. Yes, this is a movie that my main memory of is sitting at a Nashville Sounds game and hearing my sister just about lose it that she was not allowed to watch this movie. (laughs) Years later, we had a VHS tape and sandwiched between two other films was the quote-unquote beginning of D-E-R-D-Y dancing, the beginning of Dirty Dancing. So she had about an hour of the film taped and had it misspelled <laughs> on the on the VHS. That's classic. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw it. It was a whole thing. I almost think it probably was the beginning of a feud between my mother and our neighbor. You know, I, I of course, she had a daughter who was my age. We were friends. The neighbor, let's call her Carla, was that quintessential, like, check the mail and maybe a little too inappropriate clothes. Like, had a new husband. He was younger. I remember watching um, Elvira over at this house and at their house and him telling me, like, oh, yeah, how, like, sexy she was. Like, so it was kind of a... If we want to get into Elvira (laughs) and complicated feelings by a young man, we can get into that. There are... Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, I don't think was ever forbidden because I think it was so far out It probably there. was. It was so out there. there was I like... was terrified until a certain age. <laughs> and then when I was no longer terrified, I was amazed. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so I don't, I, I know I saw Elvira over at their house and Steve, I think it was his name, like reiterated how sexy it was. Steve reminded me a lot of Woody Harrelson from Cheers. I don't know why. I don't know if I knew that at the time, but that's definitely how I like associate him. But there was dirty dancing that I saw there. There was all kinds of Paula Abdul videos that were off limits. All the, a lot of off limit movies happened at uh, quote unquote Carla's house. 
Forgive me if I'm wrong, but this is a movie that girls who took ballet or just dance lessons in general were drawn to. That's probably true. I mean, and that's it's a lot of my background. I took dance all of my life. I spent my high school years studying dance. And, and so I've maybe a little bit of a deeper dive into dance than most. Um, and so I think that's fair. This is very highly a dancing movie there are 20 minutes of dancing in this movie and the dancing is fantastic i could watch an entire movie of the dancing but the rest is mostly abortions and weird power dynamics it really is i mean it's taking place in the 60s it was i believe in 1963 prior to kennedy assassination so you know like it's kind of an idyllic time and there are a lot of power dynamics here happening. And so it's very much rich class, lower class, high class, you know, from, um, you know, a, a Harvard, Stanford type of standpoint. And, and also from a moral standpoint, too. I mean, Baby is going to go and study economics at uh, Holyoke um, of economics of underprivileged companies. Uh, countries and then she's going to go join the Peace Corps and that in itself is very highbrow. I mean that's not something that you know people who actually are affected by that can afford to do. Absolutely absolutely so getting back to the dancing the first note that I wrote as the opening credits are happening is is the dancing that dirty? It kind Four of is. notes later I wrote the dancing was dirtier than I expected. <laughs> it is because it's supposed to be taking place in the 60s but it has to appeal and be you know salacious to an 80s audience and so right away i mean it's all about the grinding all about it it it's playing on a classical training everybody knows how to do the mambo and the salsa and the pachanka um but they all know how to get down too that's a huge thing i think it's worth noting that the beginning of this movie starts off with um a ronnie specter song you know the ronettes it is really what brought ronnie specter back to life after Phil Spector, who just recently passed away from COVID and had been incarcerated for the murder of Lana Clarkson for many, many years after terrorizing Ronnie Spector, this brought her back into the mainstream and kind of maybe gave her a life back into her music. And good for her. Yeah, I mean, she's fantastic. Ronnie Spector is huge. I mean, a lot of music that we probably heard as oldies music was Ronnie Spector, and she was amazing. Definitely a podcast I've been listening to is one that's following, It's uh, I think it's called Murder on the Tracks, um, but about Phil Spector and a lot of relationships that he had and just how much he terrorized so many musicians at the time. Which is so weird to me because I'd never heard of Phil Spector before the murder trial, but I was intimately aware of Lana Clarkson. I mean, if you guys want to go into Barbarian Queen and Beastmaster, <laughs> or not Beastmaster, uh, and Deathstalker and all sorts of sword and sorcery movies from the late 80s, early 90s, I was intimately familiar with Lana Clarkson. So all the paths converge. Absolutely. Um, to the beginning of this movie, which has the best soundtrack I mean, hands down, a flip-flop between your best 60s mu music and some of your hottest 80s music, 
not forgetting a track sung by none other than Patrick Swayze, which we did the research. He didn't apparently sing any other track any other time, and we should all hold it up to high standard. One song, it was a top 10 hit, and he just moved on with his life. He just deuced out and walked away. He was like, done it, done it, I don't need to do it again. Like I was on an album, a song from this album, won an Oscar, Bye. (laughs) I'm just going to go take my shirt off and punch some people. He is. I mean, Patrick Swayze being shirtless, he's, you know, done the Oscar, done the dancing, and then gets completely intimidated by Chris Farley as a a Chippendale. Let's get back to the movie. Um, So, Baby. Baby is a dreamer. She's a believer that she can make change. She's trying to make change in situations that she thinks she can. You know, we've got Penny in trouble from the high class, you know, Stanford or Harvard medical school waiter, uh, whatever his name is, and that nobody cares about. But... You know, she's trying to her make her sister it, cared a little something. Uh, she did, she did, but she tried to protect her. I mean, even her sister was like as shallow as all get out in her little like coconut bras, doing her little like side to side hula hula. She did try to protect her from that, but baby thinks she's gonna make change, but immediately she never thinks that she's above anything that's happening she kind of wants to be a part of like you know oh what's this what's what's the music on the hill who are like you're going up carrying watermelons so i'm gonna help you carry watermelons and a weird too many watermelons why are there watermelons? why does he have three water and do we ever see anybody eat no. a watermelon and afterwards? why are those watermelons so oblong shaped they're those like those are the longest watermelons i have seen ever in my life ever 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 and he had three of them three and they of were them. all long and I am just not okay with that. Nobody ever ate a watermelon. We never came back later to somebody no. breaking the watermelon open. There was no slicing a watermelon. No. There was no not eating watermelon. All. No serving a watermelon. What is the deal with the watermelons? I am confused. I think it could maybe have been a sex thing, but maybe that's just I don't because know. Maybe. I was growing up thinking this movie was a sex thing, <laughs> and I don't have a good concept. I mean, it's of summer why and people like watermelons, watermelons but... but nobody ate the watermelons. No, they no. carried watermelons. They made a big deal. Nobody that she carried the watermelons. Nobody stopped dancing to eat a watermelon. In fact, every time we dial back into this scene, to this like staff lodge and they're dancing i feel like they've been dancing the entire time that we weren't there it's like a marathon because the second time that we really get into it they seem exhausted um they're like everything is slower we've slowed the music down they're like can we stop dancing this is dirty dancing we're dirty dancing we're the dirty dancing crew we have to show up and do this and never stop because in any moment they could flash to us that's what it feels like to me how long can you really grind on somebody? Let's just be fair. I don't know. We, the movie we, takes place over three weeks. Something like and that. And I think we're to assume that the grinding is constant. Constantly. Anytime that they're not with a guest, they're grinding on each other. Which is a little weird. I don't totally get. I mean, these are all people that are supposed to be relatively good dancers. And they've had the Arthur Miller training, which... Is kind of weird to think about. Like my dad was an Arthur Miller trained dancer and like taught people how to dance um, prior to going to law school. And so your like, father is my a dad, judge. Your father is not 
one of these low-class steerage people. No, that but I you, do think guess, that my like, dad... No guests allowed. Like, stay out. You might see people of another race <laughs> or people of another class than you. Like, it's... But I do think that my dad and Patrick Swayze were the same age. I think that's actually maybe a thing. We might have to table that for our next discussion to oh verify, but I think that that's true. If it's not Patrick Swayze, it might be Harrison Ford. Either way, there's definitely some problematic thought processes there. <laughs> but thinking about like, you know, Patrick Swayze getting his break as an Arthur Miller dance instructor. My dad did that like as a part-time job prior to law school. It definitely has a weird thing. And I don't think of people who are classically trained I mean, they're just looking for a break in this movie, but it doesn't seem like at every free moment they would just be like, oh my God, thank you. We're so glad we don't have to teach, you know, a foxtrot anymore. So now we can go and grind on each other. It, 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 it seems like a weird summer camp for dance nymphomaniacs. Actually, I've seen summer camp movies about dance nymphomaniacs. They may show up <laughs> later on here in the podcast. Uh, let's get into Meatballs 4 with Corey Feldman, or there are some camp nympho movies, maybe uh, Sleepaway Camp 2. Yeah, there I are. mean, they are, but these, these are like, you know, it's like, oh, we've been dancing all day with old ladies. We can't wait to get back to dance with young hot, you know, hotness. There is some 63 nymphomania here that is a little out of my wheelhouse. I mean, 83 nymphomania, I'm, I'm on board. But it's kind of a mix. I mean, because we've got, you know, 63 is where we're set. 87 is where it's happening. And so we've got this weird crossover of... You know, music from the 60s, music from the 80s, we're dancing, it's hot. Like, how can we make this even hotter? We've got Kelly Bishop. Can we, like, take a minute and talk about our queen that is Kelly Bishop, Emily Gilmore, mother of the Gilmores, and just how haughty, but then how down she gets at the end of this movie. She's just into it and shaking it out, and I love it. I love seeing her, you know, let her hair down. Her hair in this movie, it is, there is some faucet flipping going on. There is some aquaband happening, and dare I say it, she is looking a little hot she's super hot she's super hot and i love it i love it i have like a, I have some crossover feelings with this movie with her because kelly bishop as emily gilmore is very much my grandmother i i relate to that in the haughtiness and the just i will not i do not have time for your shit type of attitude that emily gilmore gives off that i definitely affiliate with my grandmother as we we toast to her every year with a Vesper martini because that is how badass she is. And then baby's name actually being Francis, which was my grandmother's name as well. So there's very much this feeling of like identifying with this movie that like there's this past grandmother feel that like I don't know about like this like past life that I didn't get to experience before she became this like very proper like grandma that like is pissed that you at Longhorns don't have vermouth to make her perfect martini. I was hoping you were going to mention that. I was going to bring it up and suggest maybe that could be edited out, but I was really hoping you were going to bring up the Longhorn martini story. I mean, 
no one has been more put out that Longhorn has not had vermouth than my grandmother. While I'm sitting there kind of laughing to myself as I just have my wisdom teeth taking out. It's a, it's a real farce situation, but it's very dear to my heart. I feel like I've never known you more than when you tell stories about her. <laughs> Uh, there's probably, there's a, actually, no, there's not probably. We are very much in alignment in the way that we view the world. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very much a, a, a clue into the way I see everything. So circling back, talk about, this is forbidden cinema after all. Right. Talk about, if you can remember back after having seen this movie so many times, can you remember the first time that you saw it? I, I, unfortunately, I don't think I can. It, it all kind of melds together that, but in the same way as we talked about speed, that rated our movies, I don't, I don't even know what this was rated. PG-13. PG-13. This was an early PG-13 movie. This was uh, actually Red Dawn, the first theatrically released PG-13 movie starring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, of all things. I mean, it would all, circle back. Apparently oh, they hate each other. Oh, really? Yeah. That's sad. And it is. They have got some chemistry. They do. A hundred percent have some chemistry in this movie. I will say that there were moments in my life, whether they're movies or just more adult things that my parents or my mother specifically were like, oh, that's too much. That's, That's too whatever. And that they begrudgingly let me do and then immediately became on board for. And it kind of knocked the wind out of maybe what it would have been the rebellion of it. Um, I'm going to liken back to is when I was 18, I decided to get my cartilage pierced. That was a huge new hot thing when I was 18. And my mom was not a mot for it. I went and did it. As soon as I did it, she was like, oh, that's super cute. And then she let my 15-year-old sister go and do it and, like, completely made it an uncool thing after I had done it. Boy, with, we're unpacking some stuff here, huh? Right. We, we maybe are. But in, with this movie, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I probably got a little chastised for seeing it or, quote-unquote, Carla got a little bit of an earful for letting me watch it at her house. But I also know that in my fourth grade talent show that me and two other friends performed our talent show dance to I Had the Time of My Life. So this was at least out there. The soundtrack was allowed, whether it was because it was affiliated with this or not, that definitely my mom paid for a dance instructor to choreograph a fourth grade talent show piece for and to this soundtrack. This song means so much to so many ladies of a certain age. And to me, it will always just be reminiscent of couples skate at the skating <laughs> rink. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. Couples skate. Oh my gosh. I love couples skate. This song, um, save the best for last but you know which is so much too man th- those are probably the major two i mean then we i gotta be honest the major skate song it wasn't the couple skate but it was like the like all oh, let's get out there but it was now that we found love but i remember that you could make requests and i remember requesting 
Healthy Butt by MC Hammer, which was actually Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot. But oh I didn't goodness. know that. But I wrote it down on a piece of paper as a request for a song to skate to. That is quite amazing. I <laughs> I have never had anybody choose me for couple skate before. Aww. And I would say maybe when the pandemic is lifted, maybe we should check it out. I don't yes. know. There, I feel like most of the skating rinks around here are... <laughs> they, they might be, but there's a, there's an underground skate community of people that are really about doing some crazy skate. And I could really use to take about six or eight weeks off for a surgery on a broken limb. Uh, I could really <laughs> handle some short-term disability. <laughs> Well, regardless, I will be your date for couple skate Thanks, and babe. we will Thanks. we will pick the best couple skate song. I don't All know right. what you want, but anything I think you want. it has to be the time of my life. Okay. I will 100% be that. <laughs> so I guess I'm just going to go through some of my notes here yeah. um, from the beginning. We open on uh, Max Kellerman who yes. I can only think of as the uh, skinny guy from HBO Boxing. <laughs> So it has nothing to do with anything, but there is a Max Kellerman who is a boxing commentator, and that's all I can think of. Not the old weird white guy. Next thing, immediately, who steps into frame? But Wayne yes. freaking Knight. Uh, like he might. We have to keep our our eyes out. But quickly, two for two. Is Wayne Knight the patron saint of Forbidden Cinema? We really assumed going into this that maybe Kathleen Turner yes. or Michael Douglas would maybe end up as our as our patron saint, but Wayne Knight is showing up. He is. He is in the frame. He is loud. He is doing horrible stand-up. And I knew that this movie, you know, being all of that it is was is also kind of a camp movie. And so you've got camp announcements happening the entire time. And I did not have the memory that that was Wayne Knight's voice we were hearing telling us to go report for bingo. No, this or... was 87. And yeah. I I thought, what did I say? I said, it sounds like Penn Jillette from Penn and Teller. You did. But you this did. is too old to be him. And no concept that Wayne Knight was a factor at that time. No, not at all. I mean, but he is like on the stage, weird, almost fisheye lens type of filming of him making his cackling strange jokes. But he's in there. He's he's doing it all. So next thing I got into was the line that three weeks here will feel like a year. I'm not sure what that means. I think... That is a description of what childhood is like. <laughs> okay, okay. I think of when something's going to happen in three weeks now, I'm afraid. I'm terrified. That's not enough time. I can't get everything done in three weeks. When I think of being seven and something's going to happen in three weeks, that is a lifetime away. It kind of is. I mean, you think about, I don't know how long summer vacation technically was, maybe six weeks but summer vacation felt forever. And now, well, now that summer vacation doesn't exist, we take you know a couple of days here or there. Yeah, vacation never feels long enough. So I also wrote, I think, watching the first time we got into the, uh, the staff quarters that I might have got pregnant. 
that might be uh, that's how dirty the dancing was that's how dirty the dancing was that might be in poor taste uh, I'm sorry uh, I apologize there's probably a lot to unpack in that statement but there's a lot of close contacts there, there really is there really is as I was touching Jenny's hair and rich son guy is touching baby's hair and I say, boy, isn't it so creepy when a guy touches a girl's hair? I mean, it did reiterate that we've been married for 15 years and it's not a big deal for him to touch my hair. Like randomly dudes touching girls hair that they don't really know is unconscionably intimate. Should we mention that it was recently Valentine's Day? And I did get you a Valentine's card with Jeff Goldblum on it. True. And you have complicated feelings for Jeff Goldblum touching ladies' hair. Maybe I do, but I'm not really sure I have complicated feelings about (laughs) Jeff Goldblum. I mean, Jeff Goldblum is, one, he's a little weird. He stands firm in who he is. And who he is is obscurely sexual. And he's okay with that. And I think I'm okay with that, too. I don't know that I always think that, I mean, when he's doing apartments.com commercials, is he truly sexual? <laughs> but when he's in Jurassic Park and we we see all the chess that's sexual, a movie that I think that we're going to look at with Earth Girls Are, e- Earth Girls Are Easy, that was definitely an early experience with Jeff Goldblum and having some sort of feelings about him. We're going to omit the fly. The fly does not play here at all for me. Oh, the fly is on board. The fly is a thing. It's so gross. Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Body horror. It's disgusting. Uh, But that's a re-feeling that's Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. Both in Earth Girls are easy as well. When we do Earth Girls Are Easy, we might have to watch The Fly as a side note. Ooh, I guess we might have to to be as a comparison. If we're going to be completionist, I mean, it's just the responsible thing to do. We're we're journalists now, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's really, really giving us more credit than we're due. So I wrote that, what did I know about going into this movie? I said, jean shorts, time of your life, nobody puts baby in a corner, everybody has hundreds of abortions. There's one abortion. Yes. Just one. Um, It's pretty persistent, though. I mean, it comes up. It comes up a bunch. It does. I mean, it's the whole impetus for everything else that happens. I mean, baby, let's be fair. Baby does kind of put her nose in, in not her business. In, like seeing penny like hiding out in the kitchen she she's interested in johnny and so she goes and lets him know like that's where she's at and he can go and kind of save the day and how can i get involved and she doesn't she gets in over her head kind of quickly but then she commits like really boldly to learning this whole you know professional dance so that Johnny and Penny keep their jobs. She's immediately overly invested in these people li- people's lives that she does not know. I mean, this is really 
Titanic, but maybe a little better. <laughs> you saying. did you did say that you're like, are we gonna go down to the the bottom level of Titanic? I said yes, yes, we are. Is As that we not go what's going on here? This is, this is ten years before Titanic, and it's basically the same story. It is. It's true. And there's better dancing in this. Yes, there is. I mean, no and one's Swayze, trying to be. Swayze. A... If we're gonna put Swayze against DiCaprio, Swayze oh. wins, babe. Swayze no one puts no, no one puts Swayze in a corner. Leonardo DiCaprio knows he does not even begin to measure up to Swayze. Definitely Leonardo DiCaprio not started taking level. adult roles the year after we lost Swayze. I mean, we're not going to get into what if he's like getting into taking advantage of the fact that those things were available after Swayze was gone. But we we won't even get into that conspiracy type of theory. But. I definitely think there. there's no way Leonardo DiCaprio thought he could dance like Swayze. Um, he wasn't trying to do that, but we definitely have some class wars going on. But either way, I think that love wins out in the end, right? I mean, we don't know really what happens to Baby after this summer at Kellerman's is over. We know that Johnny... Uh, sees her as a person that he wants to be like. She's inspired him. I don't know exactly how I feel about that totally. I feel like that may be a little placating, but that's fine. He can feel that way. I don't know what he goes on to do. We don't know what she goes on to do. We know Leonardo DiCaprio and Jack goes on to die and Rose goes on (laughs) to have the the jewel of the century um, and be painted like a French girl and live some sort of life as an actress taking his name. So we know more, but we're not I gotta be honest, we're not I'm not satisfied by either situation. So what you're saying is we need to deep dive dirty dancing Havana Nights and see what <laughs> becomes of I don't think that that tells us what becomes of anyone. I really think that this kind of restarts and says, let's make this Latin and sexier. Patrick Swayze is in the IMDB credits. Really? Yes. I uh, have no idea anything about that movie. Okay. I mean, we do know that. Swayze did mention that he was very interested in kind of a Cuban motif for the change-up in the final song. That's that's true. He did say that. And so if he's credited in Havana Nights, I'm willing to visit that. It's not forbidden, but it maybe is a bonus. (laughs) We'll Uh, probably just watch his scenes on YouTube. Let's be fair. Probably so. But maybe we talk about it in like a, a smaller episode, but one of our pop quiz types of episodes... Um, but I don't think that any role he has in that is big enough to really tell us what happens. We know Jennifer Grey gets a nose job. People forget about her and she marries, um, what's his face? Um, who's in, in Avenger stuff. He's in Avenger stuff. I don't remember who he is. Oh man. I was going to say Kevin Klein, but no. that's Phoebe Cates. That's, no, that's Phoebe that's Cates. That's the wrong person. No, he, she is married to other Christine's husband who then shows up in the Nick Fury stuff. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she was into, uh, Ferris Bueller at the time, I believe. Weren't they both seriously injured when he DUI murdered people? Oh, maybe so. I mean, no, she yeah. was she was in Ferris Bueller, and I'm pretty sure she was in the car when he killed that family. Really, that I do not know. Maybe that's something we revisit here in our our 
pop quiz episode. We can check that in pop quiz. Yeah, because I don't know the facts of it. I mean, I know she's in Ferris Bueller. She plays his sister. She still has her original nose. Um, and I have no idea if the nose has anything to do with a you know serious car wreck. But it, I it's don't know. tragic that she was amazing. She's amazing in this. She's amazing in Ferris Bueller. She's amazing in Red Dawn. And she disappears. Right. I mean, she's in stuff, but people don't recognize her so acutely that, yeah, that her career is over because whether, I don't know, I don't know if it was due to an injury or whether it was just due to a slight bit of vanity. I mean, Jennifer Aniston didn't get completely, you know, thrown aside because she had her nose job, but Jennifer Grey looked like a completely different person. So a bit of a shift gears here. My next note is, were fishnet tights a thing in 1963? Don't know. So I am committing for a pop <laughs> quiz. I am going to look up a Sears catalog from both 63, if that was a thing at the time, and I'll also find a Sears catalog from 87 and see what the fishnet tights situation is. And uh, so, I don't know, maybe I will commit moving forward in this series for every pop quiz to looking up a Sears catalog and see what's going on. Uh, I, I don't mean, know if there's a demand from the listeners to know uh, pubic grooming trends from I mean, the that would be limited to basic instinct. I, we didn't get into any kind of pubic anything in this movie. In fact, I mean, it's pretty, we know that sex happens, but it's pretty tame. The dancing is really what's sexual. Yeah, the dancing is sexier than the sex scenes in this. Yeah, I mean, the, the sex scenes are very much just like we... We know that they've kind of crossed the line, if you will, into Baby really having a true connection to Johnny but because they've had sex. But we didn't even see them kiss until he's leaving. So that's a whole nother different thing that like there's all this chemistry through dancing. They do have sex, but then the kissing is only once we see kissing once. And so that's a really different dynamic. Can I just chime in? I could watch Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey dance for two hours. Let's say that even though we've known each other for a really long time, maybe we fell in love on the dance floor. Um, so we have that connection. I even know that in your proposal, you said that there would always be dancing. That would be something that would be in our lives. So we may be a little biased when it comes to couples dancing. I did also note that in many of the dance scenes, uh, Swayze is sans shirt. True. And uh, mentioned to Jenny that, uh, that I felt it was very critical for the character. And said that uh, I don't think, throwback to our last episode, that, you know, it would have really worked for Sharon Stone to never take her shirt off in Basic Instinct. And she said, I don't think that's a thing. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, yes, this movie is 100% for women where that movie was all for men. And I guess that's a thing. Basic Instinct would not have worked. Uh Sorry, it's a thing. And this, let's just credit where credit's due. Swayze looks fantastic. He does. But Michael Michael Douglas did Donald Duck it a little bit. So we had ass out shirt on. And For every every shot of Swayze with pan, in, in full length pants and no shirt, there was a shot of Michael Douglas in long sleeve shirt and no pants. 
Which is very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, yeah. So, go on record, babe. What's your preference? Would you rather have a man in shoes and long pants with no shirt on? Or a man with a dress shirt and no pants? Pants and shoes, no shirt. Okay. I'm going to hold firm on that. I'll have to remember that. <laughs> I, I think that the, I would say that that's most women's stance. It's just disconcerting a little bit. like Because a shirt with no pants is... You don't feel committed to the situation. <laughs> a shirt with no pants could be a crime. It could be. It could be you're just like... Uh, opportunist kind of moment and pants go flying back on and you run away yeah it feels like yeah i'm not i'm not on board for that so i also wrote that in how does this hold up that being that it's set in a time it probably holds up a little better than our previous film okay i did maybe have a problem with there being no sex in the movie that didn't have a uneven power dynamic uh it is also set in 1963 which is a weird and maybe not great time yes i agree i mean baby she didn't maybe have true power over johnny she held the he, she held his job in her she, hand she did she could have made that call that wasn't what she was about ultimately i think this movie to me didn't fully live up to the forbidden nature okay the sex was prevalent and it was kind of every single moment of this movie sex was in there and so i can see why maybe it would be forbidden to a child but i also see why you know at at 12 13 14 it kind of became less of an issue and i had no real desire to see it as a child I don't know. What, what, what's your, what are your thoughts? What is, should it have been as forbidden as it was? I mean, 1987, I was six years old. So it was very, I don't know exactly when I saw it versus when it came out in the theater, but it was all around. Um, whether it was you know, about the sex or about the dirty dancing or about the music because the music was very much, you know, it, it hit on the 60s, which was the music that I grew up with. Every day that my, dra- my dad drove us to school was you know, listening to the oldie station. When I was in fifth or sixth grade, I had a poodle skirt, um, birthday party. So this, this type of era of film was prevalent whether and I but I know there was also verboten so it was kind of a mixture of things I mean it was it felt like a rite of passage I don't know exactly when I saw it but it felt like it was like okay finally like I'm in the club I've seen it I can talk about it Uh, obviously I would have seen it by the time I was in fourth grade which would have been this about the same time the basic instinct came out (laughs) um you know which was definitely like years and years away so this this is much lower on the scale of appropriate or not but it definitely was there and like parents were probably a little 
resident or not not like immediately like yes go ahead and see this they they wanted to censor it in some sort of way maybe i should take some of that back because we did just come from basic instinct and basic instinct was a movie that came out when i was 12 and it is a movie that in no means it should be seen by somebody under 18 whereas this is a movie that came out when i was seven and a 13 year old could probably handle this yeah, probably so. I mean, because there's probably some aspects that get completely skipped over. I don't remember being, like, titillated by the sex. The sex was small in scale, but I definitely recognized the chemistry um, and that there was something to the fact that, you know, he was older. We, I think we determined that, what, as an actor, he was eight, eight years, years older, older than yeah. she was. I, we didn't feel like the characters were that big of an age difference, but he'd lived more life than she had lived. And so there was that aspect to it. Um, there's the whole Sylvia, their lip syncing and kind of role playing, which is very sexy. And that feels much more intimate than even the sex scenes honestly yeah i think so i'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that one of our first dates was to see the movie napoleon dynamite right and that is a movie that is it, it drags a little at times throughout the thing it, it on all in all it's a positive experience but when you get to the end the last dance number even if the movie had been terrible that last dance number number makes it all worthwhile. True. And that's kind of how I see this. I, I don't think I have the nostalgia for it. So it was a fine movie. It was fine. It really represented a place in time. Swayze and Jennifer Grey are owning it. I mean, both of them look fantastic. The dancing is fantastic. Their acting is is absolutely appropriate. Jerry Orbach. Yeah, let's not uh, forget Jerry Orbach and Kelly Bishop. They're yeah. really doing work that is underplayed in this movie. And Kelly Bishop, I'm going to be honest, like yes, queen to Kelly Bishop. And that's absolutely. that's retroactive. She would not have gotten the credit then but she a hundred percent gets the credit now i think the last kind of thought i had about this movie is you know maybe the last few scenes the theme of this film is that things are about to change that things as we know them are coming to an end which is pretty heady for a movie that we're really talking about eight, nine-year-old girls wanting to see and, and their parents not wanting them to see it. That's it's, it's a lot, maybe, taking that sort of a theme. Oh, it is. And I think even Max Kellerman, who is the patriarch of our getaway, um, is saying the same thing to his bandmaster, which could be problematic. I don't know how long, you know, this man has been his bandmaster. They seem to have a good relationship, but... Uh, that that's neither here nor there that doesn't seem to be a thing but he's definitely lamenting the fact that people aren't really interested in coming to these camps anymore and spending the summer with their families and learning how to play like backgammon and who knows <laughs> what whatever you learn to do there but and then they want to go to europe so it definitely feels like 
he's recognizing even the end of an era before we even get to the Kennedy assassination, which definitely is a huge end of an era, which is not really what we're trying to get into from a social aspect in history, but it does end an era of some idyllic behavior. Yeah. All in all, I'd say it's a solid seven. I don't feel like it, really got me the way basic instinct did but i'm happy to know what all the hype was about from eight or nine years old knowing that my sister wanted to see this so bad and was just (laughs) absolutely forbidden and i'm sure she saw it at a slumber party somewhere she probably did she and i need to talk about it (laughs) absolutely and and just knowing that you were the same way and i can identify so much and i think that's what we're trying to get across in this podcast here is that feeling of longing like i am never going to be allowed to see this movie this is out there and everything about me calls out like i need this and i am not going to be allowed to and that is that longing that we're trying to get across. I don't feel like any time before the 80s that was ever a thing. There was no home video. You just, you missed movies in the theater constantly. And then if you missed the movie in a theater, it was just gone. That was just part of life. It may not have been your parents didn't let you see it. And back then there there wasn't even a PG-13. It was just G, PG, and R, and your parents probably didn't let you see R-rated movies, and you got to see the PG movies, and that's just how it was. Movie came, 20 movies a year came, and you saw them or you didn't, good times. And nowadays, everything is available at the touch of a button on the internet, and we just grew up in this weird time of video stores. There being movies that came out and VHSs being passed around at slumber parties and passed around at high school. And this time of there just being this absolute glut of things that were out there but were just unobtainable there was definitely like everybody's seen this but i haven't there's a group mentality feel of this that if i miss this if i don't know what's happening that i'm i've completely missed out but that's what teenage years are about that feeling like belonging to a group or not belonging to a group and and whether you've seen a movie or not and can participate in the conversation you know you figure it out but this one this one definitely is important i think it's important from you know people growing up in the 80s growing up in the 90s to have seen it to experience not only you know that kind of sexual awakening that is part of this movie but also too i'm i'm a fan of throwback and understanding kind of like a past. I I grew up and love a period type of picture, a movie, and this is part of that as well. So I, I think that this is a hundred percent it's one that, you know, should be shared. You know, whether moms or dads share this with their kids, I think that it should be you guys can decide when it's appropriate, but it is definitely one of those things that can make someone feel like they're a part of a club. And I think that that's important. So I mean, I think that we've done it. Do you feel like we've wrapped this up? I would. Any final thoughts for you? 
I I think that that's it. It was definitely important to me as a, a, a young girl in this era, as a young dance student in this era. It, it was all the things. It, it kind of checked all those boxes and, and definitely felt like I was above my pay grade and when I saw it, and that's exciting. <laughs> that's really what this is all about with Forbidden Cinema is sharing those moments and, and hoping to share those moments with you as the audience and you guys sharing that with us. We hope you that you will. We'll let you know. Stay tuned for our little pop quiz episode where we'll maybe dive into the, some of the questions that we didn't get answered in this one and also share what we're going to be watching next. Yeah, I would say my final thought is... I could watch Swayze shirtless all day long. Who I, mean, I mean, let, I mean uh, Michael everyone. Douglas was doing it for us last week, but... Swayze is eternal. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I just might have to go watch Roadhouse after <laughs> this. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Roadhouse <laughs> is definitely its own thing. But thank you so much for joining us at Forbidden Cinema. We hope that you'll follow us on Instagram with Forbidden Cinema at, at Instagram and Forbidden Cinema Podcast at Gmail. Please share your forbidden movie experiences with us. Please tell us what were you not allowed to watch? What did you just absolutely know that you could never see? What did you see that your friends couldn't and you were ahead of the curve? What did you see on a movie poster somewhere and you just needed it when you saw it did it live up to the hype the box art on a vhs or a dvd at the rental store tell us those stories we are really really interested in hearing absolutely everyone we, else's experience we want it we want to know your salacious experience and if you still haven't done it let's do it together absolutely so thank you so much for joining us. Check us next week for our, our deep dive uh, in our pop quiz episode and uh, have a fantastic week. Um, enjoy your own forbidden cinema. Babe, did you have the time of your life this week? I did.